Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, and we're currently on season two. Whether you're watching for the first time, or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show. Thanks for listening! Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls Podcast. Today, we are bringing you a bonus episode called Angel on Trial. (sighs) I'm ready to do this, Kara. Are you? (laughs) Probably not, but I'm here anyway. (laughs) Here we are. We've decided to do this uh, because anyone who's been listening along for season one and two, we've had a lot of things to say about Angel. And Angel is the kind of character where you can't not have an opinion on him. (laughs) You, you know, like there, I, I from my conversations with you, Kara, and the conversations I've been having with people online, the people who are listening, or just Buffy fans in general. He's either your least favorite character, he's the worst in the world, no one sucks more than Angel, or he's the fucking best. He's a hero. He's the love of my life. Like, there's a lot of different ways that people come at this character. Yeah, like, you can't fault, like, whatever your issues with the show. Angel's a complex character. He has many layers to him. He's like an onion. (laughs) And I think what we want to do with this episode is, using the metaphor of putting Angel on trial, we are going to be the judge. We're going to be the jury. We're going to be prosecution and defense. We're going to... Yep. The bailiff. The person who um, takes notes. <laughs> yep. The stenographer. <laughs> we're everybody in this in this trial. <laughs> Basically. Um, and we're, we're going to take, take some help from our listeners who've written in with some hot stakes. And we're going to use this metaphor to unpack that complexity of Angel's character and talk about, at the end of the day, is he a character whom we can forgive for the bad things that he has done? in the past season is he a character who deserves punishment whether it's an eternity being tortured in hell or just being like trapped inside a costco forever like i don't know um so that's that's the discussion we're gonna have here so we're gonna hear arguments for and against angel's acquittal um (laughs) so i guess we should start off with like what are the charges here steph what did he actually do So we've known Angel for two seasons, and he was very aloof in season one. We found out that he was a vampire, but he spent the majority of that season helping Buffy fight evil, giving her information, whether it's half-baked information or a really good hot tip. At least for season one, he was there to help Buffy in her Slayer journey. Then season two came, and that's when the love story truly picked up between the two of them. Um, it was a slow burn, but clearly they had deep feelings for each other and became a couple. They ultimately had sex on Buffy's 17th birthday, resulting in Angel losing his soul. So he is no longer a souled being. He is now a full-on demon. 
And while he was a demon, he stalked Buffy and her friends. He murdered countless amount of people behind the scenes. But more importantly, he killed Jenny Callender, Giles' girlfriend and the Scooby's teacher, in a very brutal fashion and rubbed it in Giles' face by leaving her body on his bed for him to find. And up until the end of the season, he decided that he was going to end the world. And mixed in with that, he tortured Giles for six hours, probably six, six to 12 hours. And ultimately, Buffy had to kill him. He got sent straight to hell, but it wasn't Angel without his soul who went to hell. It was his soul. Okay. So, so, so we're charging Angel with possibly an inappropriate relationship with a minor. Mm-hmm. Murder. Um, I guess you'd say like conspiracy to end the world. I don't know if that's a crime <laughs> that we can punish in court, but. Well, he also we didn't. He didn't do it. So conspiracy to or attempt to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, is there adultery <laughs> torture torture he tortured yeah. giles you know so um so i th- i think you in your explanation of what happened in the season i think you've raised a really good point which our listeners are going to expect us to address first so to do that i'm going to bring in a hot steak from hannah who says i've been thinking a lot about angel's soul Because oftentimes my friends and I struggle with what it means to be a good person if one has bad thoughts. Personally, I think it's your actions that reflect who you are. It's really hard to change the way you think, but working against being a mean person is what makes someone a good person. When Angel doesn't have his soul, he has lost his filter and has no reason to hold back. That's why he's a demon. He is Angelus, not Angel. But he also wasn't the best guy before he was a vampire. We learned that in um, Becoming Part 1. And we know being a vampire amplifies who you are since he was such a fuckboy in Season 1. When he was human, he was young and stupid and angry. But when he's older and gets his soul back, he has this opportunity to be Angel, the way many of us are really reborn later in life after some experience and reflection. Putting Angel on trial is hard because he's lived a long life and he would need three different men to take the stand. Thank you, Hannah. Hannah, that was great. You were our first witness <laughs> that we called to the stand. So this, I think this really gets to one of the largest, most difficult questions of this trial, which is, is Angel with a soul culpable for what Angelus, the, the vampire part of him without a soul, does? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know that there's a lot of different ways to look at Angel versus Angelus. In my opinion, Angel and Angelus are the same person. A lot of people think that there's one personality and then there's another, two different people in the same body. But I don't feel that way. I feel like Angel, when he is sold, just has his conscience back. Mm -hmm. And when he doesn't have his soul... That's the pure demon Mm -hmm. in him that gets to be unleashed and act the way that we saw in season two. So should Angel be punished for what he does when he's a pure demon? 
I do think that because I think that they share the same personality. It's just it's just when he has his soul, he feels the weight and the guilt and the mm-hmm. empathy that he would otherwise lack. I, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think Hannah said, said it great where she says that he's lost his filter, you know, and I mm-hmm. think about psychopaths and how, you know, psychopaths are people who don't understand and experience human emotion the same way that most of us do. So they learn pretty early on in life how to fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. But most psychopaths are not raging killers and violent people. They've just learned over the years how to pretend to be experiencing the same feelings that everybody else is feeling. And they fit in and they go through life, you know, and, and maybe they're a little bit more ruthless. Maybe they cause, maybe they're a little toxic sometimes because they don't realize the harm that they're causing. But at the end of the day, you can be a psychopath and you can actually still exist and survive in our society and not be a criminal. I I think that's where Angelus is, right? Is he, like you said, Angel has a conscience. He knows that what he's doing is wrong. Angelus doesn't care about right or wrong. He just cares about satisfying his urges and it doesn't matter who gets hurt in the process. Mm-hmm. But you're right, like vampires, we've seen vampires can restrain themselves if they want to, right? Like Spike, no soul, but in Becoming Part 2, he stopped himself from killing that police officer because he knew that was the best thing for him to do to temporarily align himself with Buffy. So vampires are capable of reason. Mm-hmm. They are capable of restraining their violence if they choose to, right? I'm not necessarily, I, I think that a discussion of whether or not a vampire without a soul can be a quote-unquote good person is probably outside the scope of this trial, and maybe that's something we can discuss in a later bonus episode one day. Um, (laughs) But I think what we've seen so far is that whether or not a vampire without a soul can be good, a vampire without a soul can avoid causing harm if they choose to. So I agree with you that Angel is responsible, or culpable at least, for what Angelus does, And I would also argue that the show backs us up because the whole point of Angel in this series is he is suffering for what Angelus did. And he is spending his days trying to atone for the atrocities he committed. And I think we would do him a disservice if we tried to acquit him on this technicality of, oh, well, it was Angelus, not actually Angel. Because he doesn't want to be acquitted on that basis, right? He is taking his his responsibility for what he did without a soul. So I think we owe it to Angel, at least, when we're giving him this trial, to try him on that basis. Yeah, and I mean, he is already being punished. I mean, if we're already thinking about the soul as the punishment itself, because it's a curse. So him having the soul is his punishment already he's like you're saying he's already atoning for that yeah, he's he's feeling all those feelings about all the terrible things he did exactly and <sighs> if they were separate people he wouldn't give a shit what angel did and angel wouldn't give a shit what angelus did because it's like well that mm-hmm. wasn't me but it was him and that's the whole point of his character that's why he, remember when we said in becoming when as soon as he got ensouled the weight of the world went back into his physicality he looks sunken to the ground because that is what the curse is. The curse is Angel in a lot of ways, if you want to compare the two, Angelus and Angel. So he he carries that weight and the guilt and everything that comes that the curse gives him. And I think that 
in itself is why we, like you're saying, we have to be fair to that because (laughs) when we first meet Angel in the pilot, he's already atoning for the things that he's done. Yeah. So I think our first procedural ruling in this case is we are trying Angel and Angelus as the same person for the legal purposes of these charges that we have brought against them. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) All right. So I also want to add that we are just focusing on what we've seen so far in our rewatch, right? We're doing uh, seasons one and two. Uh, I know that the whole angel and the soul metaphor and the duality between Angelus and Angel come up a lot later on in the series and in the Angel series, but we're only focusing on season one and two. Mm -hmm. So let's get to one of the biggest charges that I think a lot of people want to hear us talk about, and that Mm -hmm. is the age gap. Angel is a vampire who has lived for 241 years. Wait, wait, wait. Angel's a vampire? (laughs) Uh, Please put that in the record for the court. Uh, Angel is a vampire. And he's 241 years old. Buffy, when we meet her, is 16 years old. And they pursue a relationship. They do have sex. They consummate their love. Or how would you say it in the lawyer speak? They did it. They did it. (laughs) P and V when Buffy was 17 years old. And I know a lot of people, it's actually, this is actually very interesting to me. Uh, I put a call out on social media saying, here's a couple of the topics we're going to talk about for Angel on Trial. Write in if you have something to say. Literally everyone, except Hannah, wrote in (laughs) about the age gap. (laughs) This is... This is the, the the hottest topic of Prophecy Girls. So here it is. Let's bring up our first witness, Reese. And Reese emailed us to talk about Angel and the age gap. Reese says, the legal age of consent in California is apparently 18 years old. So we need to first look at how old Buffy was when Angel first fell in love with her. Murders aside, Angel has performed a felony. As an ageless being, you may stay the same age physically, but your mind progresses, you take in every experience, you grow, you mature. So what in Angel's head possessed him to think that grooming a 16 to 17 year old was a good idea? As hot as David Boreanaz is... <laughs> A man I crushed on hard through the duration of Buffy to Bones, I cannot allow this gross injustice of a man being allowed to walk away with such a blatant disregard for the laws of consent and homicide only for being good looking. However, I am here for a fair trial and I'm open to any other viewers or interpretations. And along with this, I will also bring up Deanna's hot steak who says, I realize this story is geared toward teenagers with Angel being the hunky, mature guy that teens dream about. And believe me, when I first watched this, I was all about Buffy and Angel. But watching this as an adult now, I definitely have to question whether this was really okay. Take away the vampire thing, we still have an adult, by all definitions, engaging in a romance with a minor. Something this show and this podcast has clearly called out before. So can we really say that Angel is any better than the praying mantis monster? Chronologically speaking, Angel is well over 100 years old. Maturity-wise, he's clearly more developed than the average teenage boy. That's why we all love him. And even if he was a teenager when he was changed, it didn't stop him from maturing. Otherwise, he'd be like Xander. So odds are, when it comes to Buffy and Angel, we can't avoid the topic that at the end of the day, it's an inappropriate relationship, no matter how much we root for them. 
Okay, so sounds like we have a couple of different points of contention here. One is about the age of consent laws in California. Mm -hmm. One is about what do we mean when we say maturity? And is Angel more mature because of how long he's lived? Or is his maturity stuck at the chronological age when he was turned into a vampire, which presumably was in his early 20s? I... I I don't know why, but the the not, the age twenty six comes to mind. Hmm. I don't remember. If it could the show be younger than that, us. though. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think the people will, will write in angrily about how little we know about the show. Um, <laughs> so, speaking of the age of consent, um, so Reese says age of consent in California is eighteen years old, which is correct. I've looked it up on Wikipedia, which we all know is the most reliable place for legal advice. There is no other place. Um, well, there's also Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the interesting thing about age of consent laws, and sometimes they vary, you know, they vary across jurisdictions, but sometimes if two people are both below the age of consent then, and they have sex together, then they um, are fine. It's only an issue if one person is past the age of consent and the other person isn't. But in some places, including California, it doesn't matter. So in California, if you are, you know, 15, 16 years old, 17 years old, and you have sex with somebody else who's also under 18, you're still committing a crime, which is interesting to me. So Mm -hmm. although it's considered a less severe crime. So in that case, it's considered what's called a misdemeanor. Um, But in this case, because Angel is older than 18, presumably, and Buffy is younger, it would be, as Reese pointed out, a felony. So that's something to look at in the first place. Um, yes. So I think we can all agree that a 241-year-old person should not be dating a teenager. I think we can all, everyone here and yeah. now, we know this, right? This is the this is the case. It's like, okay, yeah, that's not right. The rule, everyone knows that the universal rule is half your age plus seven. So unless <laughs> Buffy, Joyce, any woman of the world is around 130 years old, it's not appropriate for Angel to be with them. But this is why I find it very interesting to put our reality on the legal age of consent into a show about vampires. Because right, yeah. what is going to happen here? Are we going to arrest Angel? <laughs> Send him straight to jail? Like, this is why it's hard to talk about, to bring our real life legal procedures into a show like this, because it it just, it, they don't align with each other. Because Angel is a vampire, he's outside the law. Well, okay, well, I, I don't want to say he's outside the law, although I see where you're coming from, and I think yeah. we can talk about that a, a bit later as a different issue. But yeah, I'm with you because science fiction does very interesting things when it comes to challenging the ways in which we construct like laws for our society, right? So the whole basis of age of consent is based on the idea of like, when are you, when is your mental, psychological, emotional development at a point where you are capable of consenting to sexual activity? And science fiction and fantasy allow us to dream up scenarios that are, as you just pointed out with vampires, challenges to our model of what it means to consent. So we have vampires, uh, things like robots, artificial intelligences, Mm -hmm. 
you know, those challenge things. And I want to be very clear for our listeners. We are not here to make excuses for real world pedophiles and creeps and people who have sex with minors. That's not what we're here for. We're not here to say, oh, age of consent laws suck and we should tear them down. But it's worth acknowledging, right, that every law in our society is based on our society as it has developed in this real world. Our reality is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and when you bring in creatures or entities that literally violate the laws of our reality, it's very difficult to fit them into that legal framework, right? Like if, if vampires were real in our world, we would have revamped the age of consent laws to deal with that at some point, yes. right? So yeah. I, I take what you're saying. And I think it's worth thinking about it from the point of view of what is the story saying by having Angel fall in love with Buffy? You know, I think about Twilight and Edward and Bella and how Edward is also like chronologically, like <laughs> over a hundred years old at this point. And he Half your age plus seven, everybody. Half your age plus seven, well, remember. And his relationship with Bella is so clearly toxic. Like he shows up and like he poses as a high schooler. But it's like, dude, you've had time to earn like five different degrees at this point, right? You could have solved world hunger. <laughs> but you're still pretending <laughs> yeah. to be a high schooler. He's clearly seen so much more of the world than Bella. Yeah. So Outside of a legal arena, I think there's an argument that Angel's relationship with Buffy is probably unhealthy because as an older person, like because he has so much more experience than her, because he's seen so much more than her, and she is only 16, 17 years old, it cannot be a relationship of equals because in terms of the power dynamic, he's always going to hold the power, the weight of his experience and she is always going to be playing catch up. And so that is what creeps me out when I think about the age gap is it's not so much the legality of it, the older mm -hmm. person having sex with the younger person. It's the fact that in this relationship, Angel's always going to be able to go, well, you know, I've seen shit you wouldn't believe. I'm 200 years older than you. Like he can always play that card. Mm -hmm. And Buffy's a young girl. This is her first real relationship it should be with somebody closer in age to her closer in maturity to her yep because they need to be able to make similar mistakes and make those mistakes together whereas angel has gone through so much in his life that i i think that he you know he's reached this point where he's just so much more jaded and and part of me is like would he get tired of buffy at some point like yeah well i don't know we can't, we, and like, I, you know, if this is, we're trialing Angel. So if I were to be his defense lawyer, I'd say, remember in the first couple episodes of season two, Angel was quite patronizing toward her. And you and I called that out too. And we're like, well, you know, he shouldn't be talking to her like he's a child because he's pursuing a child, right? Yeah. At least he said it where he was like, you don't know what you're doing. And you don't yeah. know, like, you're so young and you should be with guys like Xander, even though it makes me jealous. Like, these are things that he's aware of. But I think it's just that that's the love story the show was trying to tell us was that they cannot right. resist each other. So that's where I think it's creepy, right? Is I think it's creepy that the show, like, the show does acknowledge the age gap in a way, but not sufficiently for me. Mm -hmm. and, and like, I don't mind science fiction fantasy pushing these boundaries. But then I think about creepy people like Isaac Asimov and Heinlein, who are always doing it to get in the pants of fictional women 
and I guess real world, world world women. And it's just like, I need my science fiction and fantasy to stop making excuses for older men to fuck nubile young girls. Yeah. And I, and I think that's totally valid. And it's even something that I can get on board with, too. It's, it's not right. He's too old for her. Like, it's true. He is. And that's what Deanna's saying, right? He's had well over 100 years to mature and be wiser than Buffy. But it's interesting to me because I would almost argue that, yes, as a demon, he has matured. He's seen a lot of things. He's been around the world and he's done some terrible things. But at, with a soul, having ability to mature as a human being with having that soul as part of that maturity, he's only had that really for a couple years, if you think about it, because he was, mm -hmm. he, he wandered the alleyways of New York for a hundred years, it looked like. And in that time, he didn't grow. He didn't do anything. He just felt guilty and sad and kept to himself. He didn't interact with anyone as from what we can tell. And it wasn't until Becoming Part One when we got to see that Whistler came and picked him up out of the gutter and brought him to L.A. to begin his journey that that's when he began to mature emotionally. And if you want to look at it that way, it's possible that all of season one, him being a fuckboy, him <laughs> dipping in and out of Buffy's life whenever he felt like it, could that also not be him being immature and not knowing how to deal with human emotions, just like a teenager? It's possible to think of it that well, way. Yeah, that's a really good point. So that mm -hmm. goes with what Alex was saying in defense of the age gap. Uh, she says, I would argue that vampires are in a sort of arrested development where they are forever trapped at the age they returned. That's not to say that Angel is incapable of emotional development, but on a biological level, Angel is stuck at the age he was turned, which is probably still a little uncomfortably old for Buffy, but less so. Further, Buffy isn't a typical 16-year-old. She has an emotional maturity within herself that comes from being burdened by the one girl in all the world shtick. There could be a problematic angle to Bangel, and there are other vampire teenager relationships in YA culture that have an uncomfortable power structure. Twilight. <laughs> I think okay? Buffy has so much power, both physically and emotionally, that one typical issue around this kind of younger, young girl, older guy dynamic is much less creepy, although still deserving critique. Mm. So that's similar to what you're saying. Um, I remember in our bonus episode where we talked about interview with the vampire, we discussed the whole idea of how do younger vampires mature? Do they mature? Because we looked at Claudia as a, as a very extreme case, a prepubescent vampire. And, and so I see what you're saying because the show does portray Angel inconsistently. Like you said in season one, he's more of a fuckboy. He seems much closer in his emotional maturity to Buffy's level of 16 or 17 years old. And then it's like in season two, he seems to take on a little bit more maturity as they get together. He's the one in the relationship who's kind of like, let's slow down. Are you sure about this? I'm way older than yeah. you. Mm -hmm. uh, and then of course he becomes Angelus. And I mean, Angelus simultaneously strikes me as much older, but also like much less mature. 
you know? Mm -hmm. So it's tough because I think the show was trying to have it both ways. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I think it's interesting, too, that really the only person who brings up the age gap is Joyce. And Joyce is, we've said it before, Joyce is our tether to reality, to our reality, to our right. California laws to our justice system. Uh, yes, Joyce Joyce is very law-abiding. I don't think there's anything she possibly does that <laughs> Joyce would break California law. do not go into Joyce's basement <laughs> because, you know, there's nothing there to see that she's doing illegally. But, yeah, like, Angel, like, she's the only one who addresses, he's too old for you, Buffy. Whereas Giles, Xander, mm -hmm. Willow, Cordelia, these people who are very much aware and accept the supernatural elements of this reality, they don't say much about it at all. Xander has his reasons for not liking the relationship, but other than that, it's not about the age gap for them because they're in the supernatural world. Vampires, demons, these things, it, it kind of erases the boundaries that our laws put on these okay. relationships. Okay, so I, I do want to talk about that next. Mm -hmm. Before we get to that, though, I, I just... One further comment on Alex's hot steak, um, talking about, you know, Buffy having an emotional maturity as the chosen one, that makes me uncomfortable because that does come sort of close to some of the excuses that people make when they violate age of consent laws because they're just like, oh, you know, she was just so mature for her age or he was so mature for his age. And it's just like, well, of course you're going to say that because you're trying to justify being a creep. And I'm not calling you out in particular, Alex. I get what you're saying because that's another thing I think we 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 should talk about is when the show starts, Buffy is 16 or 17 years old. By the time we reach season seven, she's going to be in her mid-20s. So I think a, a question that's worth asking, and we I think we can factor in the emotional weight of being the Slayer during all that time. Do we think the age gap is less problematic once Buffy's a little bit older? Is it really just because she's 16, 17 right now? Would we be okay with her dating a vampire who's, you know, a couple hundred years older with her in like season six or seven? Like... Because I, I agree that you can, like, some people do have more emotional maturity than their years. Um, I'm very uncomfortable saying that about a 16-year-old. But if mm -hmm. somebody's, you know, 21, 22, at that point, you're an adult and you can make your decisions. So what do we think of that? I think that if age alone is what dictates who's a creep or not, then no. No one over the age of 100 years old, 70 years old... <laughs> like I don't know like 50 years old should be dating a 16 to 21 to 22 year old if I like I'm 33 if my friend now started dating a 20 year old I'd have an issue with it because okay, it's like yeah. okay that's really young that's really young so if you're gonna put these boundaries over Angel and Buffy's relationship based on that age gap then you have to expand that to any age because at the end of the day it's not about whether Buffy's 16 17 18 19 it's about the gap and okay. that demon is always going to be over x amount of years old so does Buffy's power as the slayer do we think that changes things though and this kind of goes into what we want to talk about next which is mm -hmm. the supernatural dimension of this mm -hmm. does does our court even have jurisdiction to try this these crimes <laughs> 
I got my law degree for this episode. I don't know about you. <laughs> but I know um, that website you showed me was so professional. <laughs> Are we even able to try Angel in this type of court? Because without going into spoilers, there will be examples of other characters, including human characters in this show, who commit crimes while, shall we say, under the influence of supernatural elements. So I think it's worth examining, Does that is that a mitigating circumstance? I'm not saying it gets Angel off, but I'm saying, can we as a court try Angel, or do we need to bring in a supernatural court of some kind? Absolutely. Yes, because again, we cannot... We cannot judge this relationship and we cannot judge this character without that supernatural element because he's supernatural. Like if he was a 26-year-old guy dating this 16-year-old, that's a whole other story, right? But he's not. He's Mm -hmm. a vampire. Um, And it's like you're saying, uh, there are other characters on this show that have a considerable amount of age on top of the human person that they end up getting with. And I don't want to name names, but you cannot come for Angel and be creeped out by his relationship with Buffy without feeling the same way about those other relationships in the future that come up. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to Buffy's power, I don't think her power as a slayer has anything to do with her maturity and the way that we need to look at this relationship and how Angel's attracted to her. I think we need to take a step back and look at their relationship in general. And yes, I think a big problem with these age gap especially in real relationships and again you and i are not condoning real relationships that happen with these types of age gaps obviously not Mm -hmm. thousands of years of age difference but you know the inappropriate level of those age gaps is like what you're saying cara there can be an imbalance of power right there's the possibility that the younger person is going to be manipulated or coerced into doing something that they're not ready to do especially sexually, right? They're going to be pushed out of those comfort zones before they can really understand what it is that they're getting involved with. And that's a big no-no, obviously. But that does not describe what Angel did with Buffy, and it does not describe their relationship that they built together from season one to the end of season two. If we're thinking about Buffy's power as the Slayer, well, then I would say that Angel and Buffy are equals because they both have the power. And I don't think that Buffy lost her agency and her independency within this relationship. Buffy was young. Buffy loved him. She was caught up in being in love because that's what you do when you're a teenager. But she's also not a a normal teenager and she deals literally with the weight of the world. And so does Angel. And I think together they built up this relationship to be equals there's a lot of evidence that shows that this was an equal relationship that he saved her as much as she saved him emotionally, but also literally like within the supernatural world and demon fighting that they are wrapped up in. So yeah, like I think I, again, I acknowledge that angel being 200 years older than Buffy in real life, that's a huge problem, but because this is supernatural and because the evidence shows that the two of them are on equal ground in that relationship and Buffy is not being manipulated by anything, I think that speaks for itself. Yeah. The defense rests. I, I, I don't know. I agree with you about the complexity of it. I'm not sure I'm on board that Buffy's power is making her equal that way, though. So I don't have a determination in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, shall we move on to perhaps some of the more 
salacious charges like the murder of Jenny Callender. Well, I don't know if we should because apparently no one cares about that. <laughs> they only want to talk about <laughs> We're, Angel's age gap. <laughs> that just means it's our job to make them care. Yes. Um, yeah, the murder of Jenny Callender was horrendous and brutal and really hard to watch. And absolutely, Angel needs to atone for that. And I would argue that he is atoning for it by getting sent to hell. Because, <laughs> okay. uh, you know, minor spoiler... But like beginning of season three, he's in hell. He's not. He's not around. He, mm-hmm. Buffy sent him to hell, and that is a punishment for sure. <laughs> I would imagine. But good, good. I think that he deserved to go to hell for that because Jenny was a really good person and did not deserve to be murdered so brutally by a beast. I agree with that, and I also think that, you know, if we're looking at Angel's history of brutal murder. I, the show tries to tell us that once Angel has a soul, his, his whole thing is he's going to spend the rest of his life regretting what he's done. And, and eventually Whistler persuades him to become a hero of some kind, become a champion, um, do some good in the world to try to atone. But I think something the show tries to get at, and it maybe isn't as clear right now, but I think something that the show wants us to think about is how Angel will never properly fully atone for his crimes. His redemption will always be an ongoing process because what he has done, including now the murder of Jenny, is so atrocious that no amount of good that he could do is going to balance those scales, right? This is not an equation where okay well he killed x people so if he saves x lives it's all good i think part of the show's message is that if you are somebody who has committed enough evil you can stop and you can try to atone but there reaches a point where your atonement must become this basically eternal thing Mm -hmm. so i i think when it comes to like how do we how do we punish Angel for the murder of Jenny Callender? I mean, he's guilty of yeah, that. That's guilty. pretty evident. Um, <laughs> guilty. But how do we punish him? Like, what's his sentence? So like you said, sending him to hell. Uh, if he weren't in hell, I think like, you know, if if the, the, the spell had succeeded earlier and we got Angel back at the end of season two and Buffy hadn't had to kill him, I, I, I think we would just have to very firmly establish, right, that like, okay, Angel, like, you're back, you have a soul now, we know you're not going to kill people, but we aren't forgiving you for what you did, Mm -hmm. right? So it's like, you will have to spend the rest of your eternal life making up for Jenny's murder now on top of all the other murders you've done. Yeah, and I I agree with that. Like, I'm curious to see how that plays out, you know, in season three, but for sure, if if he comes back and he has a soul... It's not forgiven. It's not forgiven yeah. what he did. And I don't think, like you're saying, I don't think you can punish him really because what he needs to do to make up for it is bring Jenny back to life and he can't do that. So no, atonement is like the it, only it's, way. It's, it's the whole concept of restorative justice, right? Where it's like mm-hmm. you like punishing somebody for a crime by locking them away, torturing them or whatever, probably isn't the best system. Mm-hmm. Um, because it doesn't actually solve any problems. It's just a form of, you know, vengeance. Yeah. Whereas Angel having to atone for his crime for the rest of his life 
it's a more equitable form of justice because, as you just said, he cannot change what happened. He can't bring Jenny back to life. So the next best thing is for him to devote his life to preventing further harm from other people. So yes. I think that is that is an appropriate punishment. And I, I would be interested in how the characters, like the other people of the show, respond to this, right? Because, like, you know, Giles was now tortured by Angel on top of his girlfriend being killed. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to sort of talking about Angel's atonement and his sentencing here, like, like he's reached a point where it's like, well, that's just one more crime to add to the list. Keep atoning, buddy. Like, <laughs> another notch in the belt. <laughs> yeah, like, so how do we? Like, he he was so so violent and brutal with Giles. Mm -hmm. How do we feel about like, you know, what would their relationship be like in the future if Angel were to be back on Earth with his soul? Like, how would you move forward from there? The best thing for Angel to do would be to leave them alone. <laughs> Like I would, yeah. you know, I would get a restraining order. Uh, you know, you cannot come within 200 feet of us anymore. That's, that's number one. Uh, unless he's helping, right? And I think in a lot of ways, Angel's a hero and he is there to help. Well, that's the other thing too, right? Is yeah. this, this is a show all about making those uncomfortable alliances, as we saw mm -hmm. in the coming part two. And something our, our heroes are having to get used to this is this idea that in order to fight evil, you may have to team up with evil or people whom you otherwise despise. So I suppose there is a case to be made for the idea that Angel is a useful enough ally, whether or not you trust him or like him or think he's making up for his crimes, he's useful enough to have around on our team mm -hmm. that Giles could set aside his personal differences and say, I am going to work with you because it's going to save the world but I can never like you or trust you again. And that's fine. And that's, and like, just like he said in, I only have eyes for you when he was talking about forgiveness, Giles is all about forgiving people for what happened to, in the past. Right. And forgiving compassion. So I think it also comes down to the Scoobies and for anybody who was touched by Jenny to decide whether or not they're comfortable with him being around and whether they can forgive enough to at least let him, exist in their world to help and to assist in okay, whatever way he can. Do we think Angel can ever forgive himself? No. I think that's the whole point of the curse. I think yeah. the curse is really interesting to me, actually, because how much of Angel's personality when he has a soul, is it just the curse? Does the curse give him this personality, which is basically a guilty, sad no, person? because, you know, if we go back to what Hannah was saying in her hot stake at the beginning about Angel not necessarily being a good person even before he was a vampire. I mean, we don't have a ton of evidence for that. I think most of what we saw in Becoming Part 1 was just Angel was just, you know, a scoundrel. Like, he yeah. maybe wasn't a great person, but he also, like, it, it wasn't like he was a criminal or anything before he became a vampire as far as we know. No. So I, I think that having his soul back means that he's back to that point where he can make his own choices Mm -hmm. And he, like you said, he has a conscience, but having a soul doesn't stop you from being a terrible person, right? No, so like no. Angel with a soul could still commit crimes and, you know, he could still smoke cigarettes if he wanted to and be evil and wear eyeliner. Mm -hmm. um, he could choose to be yeah. a bad person with a soul, but he's not, which I think is interesting, right? He 
allowed himself to be persuaded by Whistler to take on this role as Buffy's guide and ally. So to me, that signals that there is something about Angel that is good and wants to be good and wants to make up for everything that he did in between. Whereas the existence of Angelus does talk about the darkness inside him. And that brings me to this whole concept of duality and how I think all of us as humans have light and darkness inside ourselves. And whether or not you're a spiritual person or a religious person, um, however you choose to frame it, our lives are this constant struggle between the light and the dark and, and which parts of ourselves will we embrace and allow to come to the surface as we navigate the struggles that we experience. So Angel has that mixture as well. And it just so happened that when he was sired by Darla and let's not forget, she probably wasn't the greatest influence on him as a a new vampire. (laughs) I think, you know, his darkness really took hold. And now that he has a soul, the light is coming back and it's it's tarnished by the darkness but it's still there yeah and i think if the question is whether or not angel with a soul like the soul makes him a good person it all comes down to choice people with souls the the soul gives him the potential to be a good person right it doesn't mean that he is going to make him one one. no it doesn't make him one ability to be good if he makes the right choices and he does. I think for the most part, when he's in soul, he makes the right choices. And you're like you're saying, um, just because you have a soul, there are, there are millions of people in the world who have souls, and they choose the darkness, and they murder, and they steal, and they rape. And Angel does not do that. He chooses not to do that. He isolates himself. And then when he feels like he has a higher purpose, he works toward making amends and helping. Well, because... We see the struggle, right? Like in Angel, the <laughs> season one episode, mm-hmm. he's eating like like he's drinking pig's blood and Darla tempts him with human blood and he has this urge for it, right? We see him struggle with that. So because he's still a vampire, he has urges that maybe an ordinary human with a soul doesn't have that are tempting him towards that darkness. And we get this impression that even though only a moment of pure happiness can make him lose his soul, it's still possible for Angel with a soul to uh, give in to his base vampire urges um, and be overcome by those needs despite having that soul still. Yeah, I agree. Um, he's such an interesting character in this way, right? Because like um, Buffy also deals with the light and the dark like like look at lie to me right she chose to leave for oh behind God, that was such a dark moment yes she didn't have to but she chose and, to well and we're gonna see more of that right like mm-hmm. as the series goes on buffy i don't want to say buffy moves, moves more into darkness because i don't think that's accurate i don't want to give our listeners that impression but buffy is going to struggle with making difficult choices because when you are a hero the question of what is good is actually more complicated Because what does that mean? Do you maximize the number of lives you save while sacrificing other lives? Yeah. What's the tally? Yeah. Do you eschew violence at all? Right. Like, is all violence bad? Like, for I think for heroes, morality takes on a more complex dimension, and I think that brings us to this last charge, which is conspiracy to end the world. 
Angelus is like, I'm going to wake up a Cothal and he's going to suck the world into hell. So he's going to basically, I don't know, kill six billion people, um, doom them to eternal torture. The show is a little bit unclear on what being sucked into hell actually means for everybody, other right. than the whole eternal torture aspect. But mm-hmm. again, I feel like the court is a little bit under-equipped to deal with a crime of this magnitude. This is like a crime against humanity. I object. We are incredibly equipped to talk about this. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I want to talk about it. I just like, I don't know. Like, how do you even defend that? Uh, he was yeah. evil. <laughs> he was hurting. He was hurting. I mean, I think that's he what it goes down guy. to is, yeah. honestly, let's, uh, if we get back to this conversation we've had for the past two seasons about can vampires love, here's my theory. Mm. Maybe... Because we remember from the episode, um, I only have eyes for you. Angelus comes back and he's like, I need a shower. Like, it was love. I felt love. And he hated it. Yep. His whole arc in season two was, I'm going to kill the Slayer. And he couldn't. And Spike made fun of him for that. Mm -hmm. Angelus doesn't have a soul, but does he maybe still have these feelings for Buffy and therefore he's hating himself? for not being able to kill her because of his feelings. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I think that that's why it's so interesting. Um, I mean, the other charge of him stalking, the other charge of him, you know, like breaking and entering into her house to, to watch her sleep and draw her mother. All of these obsessive qualities, I think, are the ways that vampires show their love. And Angelus 100% loved Buffy when he did not have a soul but he mm-hmm. doesn't know how to express that because <laughs> to me vampires cannot express love the way we express it it comes out in I these think harmful it's causing him pain I think yeah. love is painful to vampires without a soul mm-hmm. and that's why it's driving him a little bit mad I think and that's why he wants to end the world is because he's decided I can't bring myself to kill Buffy right now uh, maybe he's changed his mind by the fight scene becoming part two. Mm-hmm. But he's like, well, the next best thing I can do is just kill everyone. That'll get rid of her. Well, yeah, it's like what I brought up, too, at the end of Becoming Part One, when we talked about the Akathla storyline and why does he suddenly want to end the world? It's because of love. Like, he felt that little pang yeah, of love. This is, this is not the last time that a character in the show is going to try to end the world because of love. And we'll get there. We'll get there. But that's <laughs> the thing. It's like he... It hurt him so much and it made him so uncomfortable and brought so much of this unneeded emotion into his otherwise demon form that he's like, fuck it. I would rather have everybody feel this torture than me have to do, go either do it alone or do it at all. So if the question is, did he love Buffy still as Angelus? Absolutely, he did. It's just that without the soul, it comes out in these harmful gross you know things that we can put him on trial for (laughs) ways and it really we should also talk about stalking when he did have a soul because a lot of people brought that up as well and a lot of it comes down to angel stalked her before he even met her and i believe they're talking about in becoming part one when we get to see that angel was actually there when buffy became the slayer that he was watching Mm -hmm. from afar when that happened and is he guilty of stalking her in those moments um i don't think he is i would acquit him for that because 
because when people say that he was stalking her when she was 16, 15 or 16 and got called, they make it out like he's perverted, that he was watching her, that he wanted her sexually. That's why he came no, to Sunnydale. No, that was Xander. <laughs> you guys are confusing him with Xander. Who, uh, who was looking at Buffy as she changed? Yeah, it, I will. That is like my number one <laughs> argument against Xander every day of my life. Maybe, uh, why aren't we doing Xander on trial? <laughs> we don't need to. The entire show is Xander on trial. Fair <laughs> but this is why I find it very, very interesting that people feel this way about Angel. That, like every day I say, because I'm always on our social media channels talking to people and hearing what they're saying. He's called a pervert every day in these comments. And I don't get it. And it always comes back to that one scene. And I would say he's acquitted of being a stocky pervert because he's not. When he saw Buffy get called, he wasn't standing in the bushes jacking off. And he wasn't standing in the bushes being like, oh my God, I can't wait to like, you know, have sex with her. I'm going to go to Sunnydale and stalk her there. It's like, he wasn't like that. He spent a hundred years by himself feeling guilty, and then gets called to LA and he sees Buffy get called and he empathizes with her and he sympathizes yeah. with her and he feels for her because she's being pulled into a life that she didn't ask for just like him. He knows what she's going to be facing and he feels compelled to help her because Buffy is an inspirational person. So saying that he's perverted and that he stalked her in those moments is a really... It's a disservice to his character and what the writers are trying to do with that love story and with his development. Because what he was really feeling was inspiration and he felt compelled to help her succeed. He felt empathy for her. Well, it also devalues what stalking actually is, right? Which is a harmful obsession with somebody to the point where you are interfering with their lives. So like one yeah. Angelus is leaving creepy like drawings in Buffy's room. Yep. That's stalking because mm -hmm. he is psychologically abusing her at that point. Yes. Um, whereas, as you just said, right, Angel with a soul in season one and what we learn about him from before season one, it's not so much stalking as he is observing Buffy, yes, but but he he always had the intention of entering her life, right? Like we see that in season one. He comes to her and he's a little bit cagey at first because he's a fuckboy and he, he has no social he has a, skills. Yeah, he doesn't know what to do. But, yeah, he's, he's confused. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it's not like he's leaving weird notes everywhere. You know, he yes, he shows up at odd times and gives her these strange gifts. But that's more his social awkwardness than anything else. And I think when he gives her that gift in the pilot, he gives her a necklace. I think that's just like... He, that's him showing I'm a friend. I'm here to help. <laughs> and also, like we're saying, he doesn't know how to act around humans because he hasn't been around them for 200 years. Yeah. I mean, he just takes the dinner in a bag like it's totally adorable. <laughs> <laughs> that's really nice of him. If anything, he's innocent of that. I mean, he is used to having dinner in a bag. So, you know. But, um, so, I, I, so this brings up an interesting idea, though, mm -hmm. which is... From the very beginning, it feels like the show is trying to make this point that because Buffy is the Slayer, she cannot have a healthy relationship with an ordinary mortal human boy, right? We saw in season one, she tried going out with Owen, 
Poor Owen. <laughs> Couldn't handle it. Um, we've seen her make eyes a couple of times since then. But the show really, really pushed her and Angel together. And part of me wonders, like, is this part of a thesis that Buffy can't be happy with a mortal guy, both from, like, the, the point of view of her having more power, but also because he's never going to understand the sacrifices that she has to make? Yes. I think both of those are absolutely correct. On one hand, look at the normal guys that she hangs out with, Xander and his misogynistic behavior, and his watching her when she's changing and his being horny around her all the time, sure, she could get with him if she wanted to, but Angel, who actually sympathizes with her and understands what she's dealing with, is a much better connection, in my opinion. Interesting. Well, I think it's also that you have to think about it as a vampire show. Angel's a vampire, everybody, and a vampire love interest trope is part of the show. It's the territory know, of this genre. I, I just so frustrates me sometimes. I know. It's 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 funny that way. Do I think that Buffy could have found happiness with a human man? I do. I think she could have, for sure. But it just so happens that um, at a time in her life where she's called to being a slayer, her parents break up, she's expelled, she's sent to Sunnydale. We meet Buffy feeling lonely and isolated. So they've introduced a love interest for her that also connects with her on those levels. I'm glad you said that, Steph, because I'm very excited for season three where Buffy spends the entire season dating Jonathan. I know. And then that love story is another thing we'll put on trial for sure, because it's there's a lot of layers to it. Um it this this like Angel is such an interesting character. And I think that he suits a lot of different purposes for the on the writer's end of it, right? Like obviously an ally. But like also a sexy vampire love interest that the Slayer, the Romeo Juliet of it all, even though, and, and at the end of the day, Romeo and Juliet is a tragedy. People think it's a love story. It's not. It's a tragedy. I don't understand how people can think it's a love story. <laughs> well, I mean, people are always like, we're Romeo and Juliet. I was like, that's not a good thing. <laughs> that's not a good thing, you guys. Uh, so are we, are we going into closing arguments here? Yes. What, what are we going to, we're going to sentence him? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, I think we have to come down with some kind of determination. Like, obviously, he's guilty of most, if not all, of these crimes. Of course right? he is, yes. We're not disputing. He killed Jenny. He tried to end the world. He tortured Giles. The age gap thing, I think, is, as we discussed at length, far more complicated. He's guilty of something, but what you think he's guilty of is open to a lot more debate. But I think we have to render some kind of verdict here. So... I have a verdict. It sounds like we're coming on the side of, like, guilty for the charges. What does that mean for Angel? Yes. Angel's guilty. He's guilty of all these things. He's guilty of dating a girl who's too young to him. He's guilty for murder. He's guilty for doing all these things. But I think we also touched on this already. And it's that he is atoning for those things. And right. he's making a choice. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to. He could stay in an alley. He could isolate himself from every single person in the world and spend or the he next... could you know become rich and you know live live his life in seclusion <laughs> and comfort right like it sure. wouldn't be difficult yeah so he could literally go to an island in alaska and just and just live there by himself forever but he's choosing to help our hero buffy he's choosing to atone for what he did and make things better at least for her at first. And then I think we'll see as the series goes on how that becomes his own personal journey 
of making up for what he's done. And that, I think, is what we can get on board with with his character. It's like, okay, he's making the right choices. So Angel is guilty, and his sentence is to continue to atone for eternity for his crimes uh, and not be satisfied or get rest as mm -hmm. a result. And that's really fair. Here's here's one final question for you, Steph. Uh -huh. um, and I know it might be hard to talk about this without spoilers, so we get, we'll keep it pretty general. Speaking of Angel atoning and not being able to be happy, mm -hmm. does that mean Angel doesn't deserve to be with Buffy? Because if being with Buffy makes him happy, if that's true love, like, does he deserve that based on, you know, his guilt? Or, or are Angel and Buffy not supposed to be a thing anymore? Angel, as much as he is an ally to Buffy, as much as their love is real, and I think Buffy deserves to have real love, Angel does not deserve Buffy. Okay. And Angel ultimately should not be with Buffy. And that I, that's hard for me to say, obviously. Angel should be with you, right? Angel should be with me. <laughs> 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 I don't care how young I am. Uh, but no, I think ultimately it goes without saying, you guys, Buffy should not be with a vampire. Buffy deserves the light. Buffy deserves to live a happy, long life, as happy as she can be. And I don't think a vampire, even one as heroic as Angel, can fulfill what Buffy needs. And I think it's okay for her to like to want him. And I think it's okay for them to explore a little bit in season two because it hey at the end of the day it makes for some goddamn amazing television but if we're thinking about buffy and what buffy needs angel should not be with her in a romantic sense all right thank you for your thoughts on that and thank you to all of our listeners who wrote in and gave us your thoughts on angel and how we should try him especially when it comes to the age gap we hope that you have enjoyed <laughs> this bonus episode we would love to put other people or events from the show on trial as other bonus episodes and that's something that we'll think about and discuss in the future and the, the court is adjourned <laughs> we will see you guys for the beginning of season three thanks everyone bye, bye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. We invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and Prophecy underscore Girls on Twitter. You can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca. See you next week. Bye.